I know uh, December 10th, as we get ready for that, and uh, we have Jeff Dahl, who's going to be, who is the, why is that a choir director, leading a choir? They've been practicing some 60 voices. It will be a really wonderful morning. So you want to mark that December 10th down. I also want to say I'm so grateful for how God has been leading people from our congregation to to play in our worship team. And today you got to hear um, someone who is one of our own, Grant Deacons, who grew up in our youth group, who's now sophomore at Bethel, and just am so thrilled. So please encourage them when you see them. You know, they're, they love to have a moment where you talk to them, but there's nothing better than saying thank you so much for serving us in your gifts. So especially for me, it just gives me great delight when you see um, our own being raised up to serve and to lead, right? Isn't that cool? Well, I just want to share with you, we're in this invitational life, and I want you to think for a second um, about something that I felt like we had to talk about when we talk about giving out invites, and that is rejection. Um, God has experienced rejection. I just think how often he experiences rejection when he gently touches in our hearts and we go, uh-uh, no way. And we experience rejection. It starts sometimes, it begins with a baby, right? When you just, when you get the big no. You're, you know, no. And, and as a baby, you go, and they start crying because their will is somewhat being said no to. And then, and maybe you've experienced in, in a job situation where as you um, go along, you've had those opportunities where you get back the rejection notice. No, you're not the right one. You're not the right person. We'll get back to you and you wait and you have that experience and rejection settles in. And you've experienced it maybe in love. Anybody here experience? Well, I won't ask you to raise your hand. But you've experienced a rejection of giving your heart to someone, pouring that out there and having someone even sometimes trample on it. Or, or, or when you think about it, often rejection happens, not just with that no, but there's some memory of it in your early years. Ever had that? Think about that in your own life. There was a moment of time when you felt excluded. You felt like, you know what, I don't fit in, or they don't allow me to fit in, or whatever your mind or your thoughts are as you stood and you looked and you experienced rejection. And then you're going to probably at some point in the future experience rejection. And especially if you choose to live an invitation alive. We've been talking about that. The whole word of God talks about it. And I think rejection is one of the things that keeps us from living this invitational life. Because it hurts and we fear it. And um, some actually more than others. Some are wired in such a way they don't care. Some of you live with someone who's like that, right? Um, and then, and then there's others because of your desire to want to fit in or to be liked or approved or whatever it might be. I think sometimes we have this addiction to, to be approved. It really keeps us from living an invitational life. And yet the word of God calls us again and again to do it. It tells us to live like Jesus and Jesus lived this invitational life. In fact, one of the things we talk about as a culture that we want here is a culture where everyone is welcome. Nobody's perfect, and we say anything's possible because we live with a God who can do anything more than you can ask or imagine. He can actually help transform our fears into boldness where we can begin to live and to share 
what's most important in our heart, which is our faith. And how does that happen? And how do you do that? And what does that look like? But what's interesting is you would think that um, there are personalities and some people who maybe just don't aren't afraid of it at all. And if you were to look at one person, you might think the Apostle Paul was that kind of individual, right? Just, boy, he wasn't, I mean, look what he did. He's actually the reason we're sitting here today is because of his missionary travels and the things he did. But even the Apostle Paul, listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. At one point, after writing to this church in Ephesus, he says, pray also for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He doesn't stop. He says, pray, please, almost pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Here's Paul who you would go, wow, I, I wouldn't expect him ever to have that kind of fear. So what I want you to do this morning is to consider with me as we look at these verses and we look at what Paul had to say here in Ephesians chapter 6 and this possibility that he was praying about with regard to rejection, I want you to think about um, resolving and and living a life where you commit to being an invitational. We've gone through this series and we've looked at a lot of different things around living the invitational life and and what it means and what it's like. And it doesn't mean that you kind of pull everybody up and you kind of say, you need to know about Jesus. It means living this life where you are expressing your love and, and your character being changed so it's attractive, that your light is shining before men so that they will look at it and give glory to God in heaven. In, in fact, the Bible, when it talks about it, you look at how many different verses there are really on sharing your faith. And one of the most prominent and one of the most, um, uh, what I would see would be one of the most um, I, uh, probably directive statements of sharing your faith is found at a point when he says, set your, par- your heart alight, uh, apart and, and live in such a way so that when people look at your life, see your life, they see your kindness in the face of rejection. They see your, your love in the face of of difficult pain that you've experienced. They see your life when you're going through something that's um, heartbreaking. And they see your faith and they say, why? Would you give me a reason? And, and that's this invitational life. And so the first thing I want us to look at is you look at these few words of Paul. I, I want us to be really aware of this idea of rejection. If you choose to live this, you can expect to be afraid. Okay? If you were to paraphrase the two verses that I read of Paul, it's really pretty simple. You can say it in just a few words. Pray for me, I'm afraid. That's what he says. Pray for me, I'm afraid. As he closes his letter to the people of Ephesus and he's writing to this community of Christ followers there, it's interesting, he is closing it here in chapter 6 in verse 10. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. When you get dressed in the morning, recognize that you're going into a spiritual battle. Every day you go out, there is a spiritual battle. There is someone fighting for your heart. But live in such a way that you put the armor and, the, and, and all that you you need defensively and even offensively. So he takes the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, which resides in your heart. And go out and face the day. And live invitationally. And I love it because he says all this stuff. And then he says, I'm going to do the same, but pray for me because I'm scared. I am afraid. 
And what I think is interesting in this passage of scripture is he says that he says clearly this is not just a human thing. This is not just a battle between flesh and blood. He, he, he actually says it's against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6, 12. Living an invitation of life, he says, is not a natural thing. It requires the supernatural activity of God. I mean, see, if it was a natural thing, it would be so easy, wouldn't it? I mean, how many people tell you some of the craziest stories that have no scientific verification at all, right? How many people have no problem just to naturally start saying, you know, the other day I was reading about these UFOs and how they landed in such and such a place. And no one goes, oh, you're really bizarre, weird. Or, you know, I was doing some study on Bigfoot, you know, or, or the Loch Ness Monster. You name it. People have no problem talking about such things. Or, or they'll come with you with the latest thing, you know, it's something free with regard to food. I don't know what it is, but it's the latest thing. And there may not be verifiable proof yet, but they have no problem talking about it. But just talk about Jesus. Why do you think it gets tough to start talking about Jesus? Why does fear go up? I mean, seriously, I want you to think about that for a moment. Paul was really clear. He expected to be afraid. Because he knew that living this invitational life invited a spiritual battle. And it was more than just a human thing. Because every one of you know what it means to be able to talk about something that might be a little bit strange, but when it comes to talking about who you really profess to love and follow, it becomes difficult. And so knowing this, Paul asked for prayer. He's not only afraid that he might miss some opportunities, but he actually followed through on some that come his way. And this is the same Paul. So you've got to get a picture of this Paul. The same Paul who at one point wrote to the followers of Jesus some of the most fearless things he did. At one point he was talking to this church in Corinth, the followers of Jesus in that place, and they were starting to say, well, I follow Peter, and I follow Paul, and I follow this person. There were people who were coming in, and they were other people that were not, that are not even named who were boasting about all the things they did to serve Jesus but they were actually leading this people astray. But they, they were saying, we have more credentials than Paul. And, and they start listing them all. And one of the credentials they listed was they started boasting about all the things they did for Jesus. And so Paul, at a certain point in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he writes, they serve Christ, but I served him far more. And then a little parenthesis, he says, have I gone mad to boast like this? I've worked harder, been put in jail more often. Been whipped times without number, faced death again and again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was in the open sea all night and the whole next day. I have traveled many weary miles and have been often in great danger from flooded rivers and from robbers and from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I have faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the deserts and in the stormy seas and from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. I have lived 
with weariness and pain and sleepless night. I often have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I've shivered with cold and without enough clothing to keep me warm. But I'm scared. Basically, I at this moment am asking you to pray because just like you, I have fears. Now his fears were a little bit bigger this time because he was in a place where all his life, he had hoped to go to a couple of places. One was in Athens where there's a, the court where the philosophers would teach and they had wisdom. And he had the opportunity to do that on Mars Hill and he spoke there. And that was a big deal for him. I think he was probably a little intimidated there. He comes now to Rome, the place he wanted to go, the seat of power. He comes to the seat of power. He's going to be before the emperor. He's going to be before the Roman Senate. And he's going to have an opportunity to testify. And he says, folks, I'm afraid. So yes, you're probably afraid too. Because there will be contexts, there will be opportunities where you have an opportunity to say something about Jesus and you're going to feel like, boy, I would rather be approved by this person in this moment than to push through my fear and to follow through and to say what God wants me to say knowing that God will someday go, wow, well done. Pat you in the back, good and faithful servant. So expect to be afraid. This isn't about flesh and blood. This isn't merely human stuff we're dealing with here. These are spiritual powers that oppose you. So first, recognize this, and, and you're going to have to kind of come to a point where you go, I recognize that every day this invitational life is, is not just some natural thing, but supernaturally, God, I'm going to have to stop and say, I invite you into my life so that I can invite others into yours. So what do you do about that? Well, I think one thing Paul did often was he remembered the promise of Jesus. I'm certain that Paul did that again and again in many different contexts because you can read in Corinth and in, in the book of Acts and like when he went to Corinth and to different places, he was truly afraid. He had mobs that would be, go- would be going after him. And near the end of his book in Acts at one point, Acts chapter 26, verses 16 through 18, he's standing before King Agrippa and Paul is concluding kind of his story and his testimony and he shares what Jesus actually said to him. When we have the account of Paul's conversion, you know, when he was riding in the horse, he was, but prior to his conversion, he was seeking to wipe out the followers of Jesus. He was putting them in prison. He was putting them to death. I mean, that's what he's doing. And then Jesus, you know, stopped him, blinded him by the light of his presence, knocked him off his horse, and this is what he said to him. Now get up and stand on your feet. Okay. I have appeared to you to anoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are set apart by trusting in me. My guess is that time and again, Paul, when he would be facing the fears, would turn to his experience and remember the commissioning of Jesus and the promise that was given to him at that time. It didn't mean he didn't 
face rejection. We just read of all the things that he encountered, but he knew that God was with him, that he would protect him, and that his hand was on his life in each and every one of these situations, and he would trust that. And so one of the things is you start to you know, feel the fear, you know this is a spiritual battle, is to go back to the promise of God made to you and to me when he commissioned us. And you go, well, when did he commission us? I didn't get blinded by the light. Yes, he commissioned all of us at one point when he spoke to his apostles at the very end of his life before he um, ascended into heaven, after he resurrected, he stood on a mountain and, and they came to him. And, and we read in Matthew 28, here's the commission that's for you. So this is for you. These are the words to remember. He says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you live your life, that's what the go means, it's as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says on the tail end of it, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to live invitationally. I want you to love unconditionally. And I want you to trust that as you're doing good and other people see this goodness of God through you and they have opportunity to ask or you sense the prompting of the Spirit for you to invite, he just says, follow through on that because I have commissioned you, but more than that, I've given you a couple promises. He says, invite people. And here's what's interesting. On each side of the commission, on the front side and the back side, he gives two promises. He says, here's some assurance that if you choose to live this invitational life, knowing there will be a spiritual struggle, and when you're paying attention, someone either asks you or you're prompted to do an invite or to somehow engage in conversation, I want you to remember my words and the promise of my words. I've commissioned you, and I've given you these two assurances that will calm your heart in the moment. And that's this. And the first promise is that all authority has been given me. I am bigger than your greatest fear. Okay? Whatever you're fearing right now, whatever rejection you might fear, I'm, here's the second thing. I'm with you. I'm with you always. Even when someone rejects you. So he gets it on, on both sides. I, I'm bigger than your greatest and your biggest fear because I'm the highest authority. Basically, I'm the Supreme Court. Ever, ever had that situation where um, you haven't been experiencing justice or things aren't going your way, but what you don't realize is that someday God will act on your behalf because he is the Supreme Court. He's basically saying all authority has been given to me for you. And then the second is you, you just need to know that I will be with you in this. So expect to feel some fear. Paul did. Remember the promise of Jesus. He's in charge, bigger than your greatest fear, and he's with you in that moment when you are being prompted. And then this is the third thing I want you to think about, because this is what is in the words of Paul. His prayer is a resolve. It's a resolve that he is saying to others, he's being held accountable by asking him to pray in a sense, and he's saying, I um, want to face my fears and resolve to live this invitational life and to buy up the opportunities when they come my way. And this doesn't just happen, folks. This is a choice that I want you to think about this morning. I mean, my desire would be, as you would leave here, um, you would maybe choose again or maybe choose for the first time and just say, I am asking 
for prayer is I want to live an invitational life. It requires a choice. Look at what Paul says. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will, that I will choose to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which, and then I am an ambassador in chains. He's saying, you know what? My life is about representing Jesus. So no matter what the circumstances that I am in, whether I'm in chains or not, whether you're in whatever circumstance, you are representing Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly. And then he adds a little word, as I should. Because I was commissioned, and so were you commissioned. So what are you going to do about it? There's a definite steps, I think, that are helpful. And I'm going to just share some of these, what I hope you might think is practical steps. And the very first step is this, you have to be willing. Like in anything, if you're not willing, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, right? You have to say, okay, God, I, I feel the conviction of your spirit. I feel you prompting me even now in this moment. I maybe have felt it now for a number, couple months or so that you have been speaking to my heart about this. And so to be willing is just basically to say and to pray, Jesus, I will follow you, follow you in this. And today, I resolve to be a witness to your love and goodness. Today, I resolve to be an ambassador in whatever experience or circumstances I am to others of your love and goodness. And remember, you're not alone in this. When you make this statement, you're also inviting the work of God to come in because God is very willing also to help you in this. So the first is just to be willing. And the second part of that is to be connected. This is just as important as the willingness because Paul was willing and resolved to live this life and yet if you look at his prayer, he knew he needed prayer because even as bold as he was, he was aware of his own desire for approval. He was aware he was moving into a situation where it might be very easy for him to let fear override his resolve. And so Paul says, pray for me. And in fact, pray I'll be, I think this is really kind of interesting a couple times. That I'll be fearless. Think about that. Fearless. Not a fear in my body. Be faithful is the next thing. Be connected. Invite people to pray for you. Because this isn't meant to be alone. We're really meant to do this as a community. But the next thing is be willing, be connected, but be faithful. I I just want to say this. I said it before in one of the messages. Your job is merely to deliver the invite. That's it. God only asks us to be faithful servants, not successful servants. That, that should take some, oh, okay, you mean all I gotta do is hand the invite? Yeah, it's not your job to do anything beyond that. It's their job to make a decision when you give the invite, whatever that might be, whatever that looks like. And, and what I want you to remember also in this is as you're being faithful, remember you don't have an idea. That person might be one invite away from seeing God work in their life in a way that they've never seen or experienced God. The other thing is to remember that even as you do it and you go, boy, I did the invite and I felt rejected and it was a failure. It's not a failure because you have no idea what link in the chain that might be. I've had so many people who have talked to me as they've come to a place where they're walking and following Jesus and they say, you know, if it wasn't for some person, I wasn't really kind to them at the moment. (laughs) But I continue to think about that. See, all he's saying is, you know what? You are to be faithful. It, all your job is, it, your job is only to give the invite, 
you're not responsible for the success of it, just the faithfulness of that act. And then to remember, you're not the one who necessarily knows whether that person is one invite away from really seeing God move in their life in a way that could change their life. And then remember, even if you give the invite and you feel like you rejected and you failed, you haven't failed because you've done what God asked you to do and you have no idea down the road what might happen with what you have said or what you have done. And then be bold. There's two questions you can ask yourself when you feel the fear come on. And and these questions, I think, really can help reduce and overcome your fear. They're practical questions that increase boldness. And and they're really what they call in psychology cognitive therapy questions. And so if anybody's had that kind of background, you're kind of go, oh, you're bringing psychology into it. You know what? I'm not. Jesus did. Okay, if you watch in, in a moment, I'll share with you something Jesus did because Jesus was really bright. What I find so often happens in the Bible is that there's a truth and then later in our culture, we put a label on it. We go, well, that's a secular thing. No, it was always God's. All truth is God's truth. It's just that we put labels on it and then we go, oh, can't be there. And so here's two questions that I encourage you to think about. The questions that will really increase your boldness. And the first is this. When you start to feel the fear, you say, I'm willing. I'm connected to other people. They're praying for me. I'm going to be faithful, God, and I'm going to do it. And and now I'm going to be bold. And here's what can reduce the fears. Ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Think about it. Before you do it and you're rehearsing your mind, oh boy, you know. In, in Luke chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, Jesus does this little cognitive reality therapy session with his disciples. He says in verse 4, I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Don't be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. Don't be intimidated. True, they can kill you, but then what then can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. He says, so basically, the worst they can do to you is kill you. You go, well, that's really bad. That's not what I want. Forget this invitation to life stuff. And then Jesus points out what they really should fear. Okay, I got you on this fear, but here's the one, you know, out of the two fears, man's approval or God's approval, I want you to seek God's approval. Because listen to what he says, save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands, who actually has the power to cast your soul and body into hell. That's the worst fear. And then I love Jesus. He's so wonderful. He's so kind. He's so brilliant. Did you you know Jesus is really brilliant? He is, because he's God. Anyway, um, he at a certain point now, he's got their attention. He goes, what's the worst that can happen? And, and, and they go, well, I could get killed. But that's not really the worst because now, you know, if you're going to really fear man, but if you fear God, God could do something worse. And then he goes, and I love this. He, he just says in verse 6, and you're kind of going, where's he going with this? What's the price of five sparrows? Anybody know what it is? Not much, okay? Um, a couple pennies. Not much more than that. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And he knows the number of hairs on your head. So I'm telling you, folks, never fear. Even as you live this invitational life, you are more valuable to him than the whole flock of sparrows. He has all authority. This God of yours is with you through this life and into the next. And he will guarantee to do what he's promised with whatever work you've done in his name. 
So what's the worst that can happen? Because when you ask that question, it helps you reduce your fear and really minimizes it to the right size. It limits what I call catastrophic thinking that paralyzes you. This, you know, usually we fear the fear of rejection than we really fear the rejection itself. God has made us all capable because we've had experiences where we've been able to deal with it and God has healed us and we know that God can do that. So then here's the second question. Probably want, what's the second question? Well, here's the, you know, so what's the worst can happen? Here, just reverse it. What's the best that can happen? Just think about it. What's the best? The person might actually come to know Jesus and experience his love. They might be given wisdom or courage or patience or peace. They may see a life, you may actually see a life that's been set free from maybe addiction that you didn't even know that person had or from some kind of bondage of, 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 uh, of, of guilt or, or, or shame that they weren't even, that you might even know was in their heart and life. You might even see a relationship they had restored. You might see a family that has been healed. You just never know the impact of just what one invite could make. So what's the best that could happen? We used to do this when I was in college. This is where I learned about it, and I had some college buddies. And we would do it around dating. And, you know, it, it works really well. So some of you are younger, you might want to pay attention to this. Um, we, we used to, in college, we, we'd come to, like, wanting to date someone, and we'd go, you know, like most of us have married out of our league kind of thing, you know, and so you kind of, like, I'm going to ask this girl. So we'd say, so why are you afraid? What's the worst that can happen? She can say no, right? And then and you go, well, so what's the best that could happen? She can say yes, and maybe you end up marrying her, and I did, and Grace, thank you for saying yes. <laughs> it was really worth it. The questions help you think realistically. They reduce the fear of rejection, and they remember the upside is always so much greater than the downside. And the last, I just want to encourage you to be obedient. Here's what, you, here's what you just have to do. You're knowing that God has got the authority and that he is with you. Um, you've maybe heard this phrase before, but it's really true. Feel the fear and just do it anyway. There will be some times the fear just won't go away. How many of you have ever stood on the edge of a kind of a, you know, a diving board or a cliff and, and you're feeling fear jump after the fear has gone away? It doesn't work like that. I'm just going to tell you, you have to step into the fear and watch God work. Because he will. And the best that can happen, and you've seen it, I've seen it. I mean, I was sharing with someone yesterday, I did a wedding last night, and I was sharing with someone who was there in that wedding, whose, whose life has been changed because he was invited by someone who in their hearts had to say, what's the worst that can happen? And then said, what's the best that can happen? And I sat and talked with this person. Uh, Their life is transformed. Their relationship and marriage has been transformed. Folks, that's what we're giving people. We're giving people Jesus. We're not giving them a church they're supposed to go to We're not giving them a system of thought they're supposed to think. We're giving them Jesus who will teach you how to think. And he'll draw you, if you're willing, into the community where he'll support you and love you. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I just want you to take a few moments. We're going to worship because we were talking about it as we were planning this. And we felt like it would be best to take some time 
to just worship and give thanks to God. And so I'm going to ask him, and I've asked Grant if he would um, play this song. And what I want you to do as he plays and sings this song is just to take a moment. And I would, I would ask you to consider making resolve to say, Today, God, I mean, I've maybe done it in the past, and sorry, but I'm going to, again, today, I'm, I'm resolving to live this invitational life. I'm going to let you work in my life. So I'm going to ask you to worship. I don't know however you want to do that, but maybe prayerfully in these moments, just listen to God.